Oh, fantastic. Hi, everyone. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Guys, my name is Lovey Russo and I'm alcoholic. And it's only, only by the grace of God and Alcoholics Anonymous that I'm alive, sober and recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body. And what that means is that I get to be useful in my life today, right? I get to suit up and show up and be the best wife, mother, daughter, sister that I could possibly be. It does not mean that I'm cured of alcoholism, not even a little bit. But what it means is that, you know, I didn't wake up hungover this morning. It, it means that I am not obsessing or trying to find a drink. What I have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. So guys, I have a grand sponsor who, who's sort of a, a pain in my tuckus and, and makes me do this, right? Rule 62 says, don't take yourself so damn seriously. And I have to remember, right? I'm just another bozo on the bus. I'm just another alcoholic who's trying to do the best that I can with the tools that this program has given me. I have a sobriety date. It's September the 7th of 2015. And in that very, very, very short amount of time, there's been no need or obsession to pick up a drink or a drug. I have a sponsor who has a sponsor, who has a sponsor, who has a sponsor ad infinitum. And I sponsor sponsors. And guys, this one time, this one time I complained about a GSR meeting, now I have a service sponsor. So I beg of you to be very careful what you complain to your sponsors about. I have a home group. I am a member of good standing in my home group. It is known as the main purpose group um, outside of um, um, New York City in, in the state of Connecticut. But due to the power of amends, I get to live on the beautiful, beautiful island of Bermuda. And uh, so Bermuda, for those of you that don't know, is, 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 is a British protectorate. Uh, it's overseas territory. It's in the Atlantic. It's about 700 miles off the coast of um, New York City, kind of like pair of uh, same latitude as North Carolina. And guys, if you find yourself on our beautiful island and you want to go to a meeting, please, please, please let me know. I am more than happy to take you or make arrangements for you to be taken. Um, I noticed there are a couple of um, Bermuda folks on this meeting and, and, you know, the same applies to them. And guys, if you find yourself in New England, Connecticut, you know, Massachusetts, that kind of area, and you want to go to a meeting, same invitation applies. Um, Guys, I, I got to tell you, um, you know, we're from all over. I'm looking at all the the, the uh, location and, and the locations here. And I am absolutely unbelievably amazed that technology allows us to participate in our sobriety, despite, you know, these big, big distances. I now have sponsees that are all over the globe. And the forward to the first, uh, the forward to the fourth edition says, um, in any meeting anywhere, AA share experience, strength, and hope with each other, right? To, um, um, in order to stay sober and to help other alcoholics, modem to modem or face-to-face, -face, AA speak the language of the heart in all of its power and simplicity. And in 1960, Bill Wilson wrote in the November grapevine, nothing, nothing matters more to AA's future welfare than the manner in which we use the colossus, the colossus of modern communication used unselfishly and used well, it can produce results surpassing our present imagination. And guys, that's where I find myself today, right? This virtual platform has been for many of us what the printed book of Alcoholics Anonymous must have been back like in 1939, right? The forward to the second edition says, a wholesale miracle has taken place, right? The printed book allowed for a mass production of spiritual awakenings. And with this technology, we still get to do that, right? I have sponsees. I know people on this meeting who have yet to set foot in a face-to-face in, 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 um, in -face live meeting for whatever reason, right? But with this book and with this virtual technology, everybody can experience the same solution to alcoholism. Um, 
Guys, thank you so much for asking me to speak. It's always an honor to do anything for Alcoholics Anonymous, even speak. This is not my favorite thing to do. People who know me know that this isn't my favorite thing to do. And uh, but it's always an honor. And and you guys just asked me about my name, right? So kind of a funny story. Lovey really, really is my name. Honest to goodness, it's on all my documents, on my passport. And see, I was born during the summer of love. And for those of you who are old enough to understand what that was, you know, that was the uh, that was the hippie movement. And, and I could have been named, you know, Rainbow toll bridge or like, you know, flying unicorn tails, anything was possible. But here's the truth. My parents were German immigrants and they thought lovey was an English language name, not a British term of endearment. So there we go. That's what I have. So uh, guys, if you've heard my story before, my story really doesn't change, right? And the, the, the past is the past, my spiritual awakening, and then what's happened since. So if you've heard me before and you don't think you want to stick around, that's fine. You don't have to. I will not at all be, be offended. But what you're going to hear if you do decide to stay is 100% my experience, my truth, my reality, both in the program and, and while I was an act of alcoholism. You see, guys, I can only share with you my experience. I have nothing else to offer, right? I'm a fellow traveler on this journey. You know, we do this shoulder to shoulder. And um, I don't profess to know anything about AA, the big book, or God. And so, um, guys, if you're new or nearly new or just coming back, welcome, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. And I hope that my words in some small way, in some small measure, can be helpful. Now, I'm extremely grateful to Alcoholics Anonymous. You see, grateful is what I am and gratitude is what I do. You see, for me, this is a simple program of spiritual action, right? I don't get struck sober sitting in a room of Alcoholics Anonymous. I get sober by doing the work as outlined in this book, because this is where the directions are. And for me, AA is uh, not for people who want it or for people who need it, but for people who do it. You got to do the work. Now, when I first walked into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I would hear you guys, right, lyrically say ridiculous things like, hi, my name is so-and-so and I'm a grateful alcoholic. Oh my God, I hated all of you. Grateful, grateful for what? Would you possibly be grateful for, right? Um, um, guys, I couldn't drink and, and I wanted to and I wasn't very happy and I certainly wasn't very grateful. You see, I came to AA not so not to stop drinking, but for you guys to teach me how to drink safely, how to drink like a lady, right? You know, when you drink tea with your pinky finger up um, um, and or to learn how to drink those like ridiculous Caribbean drinks with chunks of fruit and umbrellas. See, guys, that's not the way I drank, right? I drank with a bottle of whiskey that was sitting underneath the seat of my car in the middle of July. This thing is 900 degrees and I'm going to drink it as it is, right? But see, I figured you guys were the professionals, right? You were professional drinkers. You were in AA and you knew what you were doing and you could teach me. You could give me pointers. You could tell me how to be a responsible drinker. But did you do that? No, right? You let me down to my absolute core. Instead, you showed me these things called the steps, right? First, they were hanging on the walls and, you know, the, the, the window shades and, and uh, sitting on the rooms um, on the wall. And then you guys said to me that drinking was not my problem, but my solution. What? Come on. See, everybody in my life had always told me that drinking was my problem, right? Um, the doctor, the police, the judge, my husband with frothy emotional appeals. Why do you drink so much? Just stop drinking. If you loved me, if you loved our kids, you would stop. And guys, here, here's the truth, right? I would die for my family 
but I couldn't stop drinking for them. Now, I got to tell you, I love alcohol. I still do. I love everything about it. And I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed a 21-year-old single malt scotch, right? The smokier, the better, like a Lagavin, oh, right? And I love the way that it smelled. And, and, and I love the way that, you know, uh, whiskey looked in a crystal glass as the sun shone through it. And, and more importantly, right? Alcohol was my best friend. It was my lover. It was my confidant. It was there when I celebrated where and there when I cried. I drank when I was happy and I drank when I was sad. And I loved, loved the way that alcohol made me feel. You see, it transported me to this place of comfort and ease. You see, alcohol did for me what I could not do for myself. And the book tells me that we drink primarily for the effect. You see, booze was magical. It had this effect on me. It always made me taller, younger, or older, depending where I was in my drinking career. Always, always made me thinner. And it provided that courage and self-confidence. You see, alcohol transformed me into the person I could never, ever be on my own. And in a letter to Bill Wilson, Carl Jung wrote, Spiritus Contra Spiritum, right? God the Spirit, capital S, versus alcohol the Spirit, small s. And there's a reason why alcohol is called a spirit. It's derived from um, an Arabic word, al-gal, meaning body-eating spirit. Now, I, I don't know about you guys, but when I was drinking, alcohol consumed me. It owned me, right? And destroyed me physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I was nothing but an empty shell of the person that I always should have been. So, I am not alone in this, and I've come to realize this after years of sitting in these rooms and hearing you guys. So if you're new or nearly new and this resonates, you are not alone. I always felt different, right? I always felt like an outsider. Now, I have two younger sisters, and I used to think that I was adopted, despite the fact that we look exactly, exactly the same, right? So when we were little, I would put our faces up to the mirror, and I would like scrutinize, scrutinize, like... Uh, for the differences, absolutely convinced, convinced, right, that I was somehow mixed up at birth. And, um, you know, I grew up in the early 70s. It was the time of uh, UFO invasions, right? And 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 Area 51 and people being abducted by, by aliens. Uh, it was the time of the body snatchers or uh, robots. And, and I really, truly believe that I was the only human being around and everybody in my life had been somehow replaced. And I had all of these thoughts before I was even in kindergarten. How old are we in kindergarten? Like five, right? Four or five. And already at that age, I heard a speaker once say, I could have used a drink on my first day of kindergarten. Oh, yeah, me too. Me too. Right. And, and guys, I felt isolated. Um, 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 um. Uh, separated and terminally unique. And I couldn't ever understand what I was feeling until I walked into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it was here that you guys told me that what I had was a spiritual malady. A what? A spiritual malady. You guys told me that I had a giant God-sized hole in the middle of my heart. And you told me that I was irritable, restless, and discontent. Irritable, restless, and discontent. And it was the first time in my life that, that I ever had words to describe how I was feeling. But you guys told me I never had to feel this way again. You told me that if I did the work, right, through this book, that I would never, ever have to feel that way, that the solution was, was readily available. But I had to be willing and I had to get thoroughly honest with myself and to do these steps. Now, guys, a spiritual malady does not make me alcoholic, right? I am married to this really, really wonderful man who's sitting like on the other side of this wall watching TV. 
And um, more often than not, I will find a bottle of beer in the fridge with a wine stopper in it, right? He doesn't drink the whole thing. He'll have one drink, maybe two, and he'll put it in the fridge and he'll walk away. I don't understand that. To me, that's alcohol abuse, right? But he's not an alcoholic. What makes me alcoholic is that I have a physical allergy to alcohol, right? And this really strange mental obsession. And I used to believe that it was maybe, you know, the eighth or the ninth drink that got me drunk. And if I could stop at two, okay, no more than four, six at the most, right? That I would be good. But, you know, four drinks would come and go, five, six, nine, 10, and the bottle is empty again. And I can't understand why this happens, right? Guys, I wasn't going to drink that much. I was going to stop. I promise. But the big book uses this really, really great phrase, right? pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. Why does this keep happening, right? Why? And it was you guys that told me it was the first drink that gets me drunk. No, no, I argued. It was the eighth or the ninth drink. You said, no, no, lovey, you can't get drunk if you don't have that first drink. Oh, right. So you guys told me that when I drink, I trigger an allergy and the phenomenon of craving, that the first drink insists on, 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 on the second and um, screams for the third and demands the fourth and so on and so on and so on. You see, I just thought I was changing my mind, but you guys told me that I was powerless over the choice whether to drink or not. You see, and if I'm powerless, then I need to find a power greater than me. Now, my friend uh, Michael says that um, if um, that I have um, um, a body that won't let me drink and a mind that won't let me stop, right? So if I could stop drinking, right, then then if I didn't pick up that first drink, there wouldn't be a problem. But therein is the second part of my problem, right? That peculiar mental twist where my brain tells me that the next time I drink, it's going to be different, different despite all of the years of, you know, um, of, of, of experience. Right? That if I stop drinking for a small period of time, I should be able to have a champagne toast at Christmas or, or at New Year's, right? Um, that, that I should be able to, you know, have a few drinks at one of my kids' weddings. So I have, um, I had a daughter who got married in October and I have another daughter getting married this October. And um, when we were sitting with the new mother-in-law, she says to me, um, surely, lovey, you will have a, a champagne, participate in the champagne toast at, at, at the wedding. And I went, no. She says, no. No. She says, come on, not even a little bit. No, not even a little bit. She says, well, what would happen if you had a sip of champagne? <laughs> well, let me tell you what would happen. First, guys, I do not understand the verb to sip, right? I gulp, I chug, I double fist, right? Um, once I had a few drinks, right, um, um, I, I would probably get into a couple of bottles of champagne, but, you know, wine is fine, so liquor is quicker, and I'm off into the amber-covered fluids, which is going to be, you know, whiskey or tequila. I don't know about you guys, but tequila makes my clothes fall off. The groomsmen were very, very, very handsome, and my cougar would have come out, and I would have started making out with those um, handsome, handsome, handsome groomsmen. Oh, I probably would have fallen into the cake. I would have had an epic fight with my mother. And um, my husband would be embarrassed and, and humiliated. The police would have been called and I would have ended up in the hospital in handcuffs because that's what happened when that's what happens when I drink. Right. And I forget that. Now, guys, the only way that I can really, truly describe this, this, this peculiar mental twist or forgetting is childbirth. Right. I have six kids. Right. I gave birth to them all by my lonesome without any medication. So 
to this day, I cannot tell you how uncomfortable or painful childbirth was, right? I have no relative memory. You know why? Because God gives women amnesia, right? He tricks us into having more babies. So if you've been with a woman who's had um, a baby without drugs, or if you've had a baby without drugs, why, why would you do that a second time, right? Why would you do that a third time? I'll tell you why, because we forget. We forget what it's like, you know, in the middle of childbirth. And, and, Page 24 of our book says something very, very similar, right? We are unable at certain times to bring into consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of a week or a month ago. We are without defense against that first drink. And that's where I find myself with alcohol, right? I forget. I have no relative memory of, of the suffering and humiliation. Now, my mom, who, who is still with us, uh, is in her 80s and is incredibly proud of the fact that all of her babies slept through the night from the time we got home from the hospital. And I know you know how she did that, right? She put a cap of whiskey in our baby bottles. And um, she put whiskey on our teeth or on our gums when we were teething. Um, I grew up in northern Canada where it like gets to minus 40 and she would like make these hot toddies when we would come in, um, uh, coming in from playing in the snow. And, and she also washed our hands with it, right? I don't know why she didn't use soap and water. Maybe it was the precursor to modern, you know, hand sanitizer. But I remember getting whiskey underneath my fingernails and going, mm, 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 right? Kentucky Fried Chicken or KFC, whatever it's called around the world, you know, their slogan is finger licking good. Who needs fried chicken, guys, when I've got whiskey, whiskey underneath my fingernails? Now, she made this concoction. Uh, it was grilled onions, vinegar, and whiskey horrific, repugnant stuff. And she would give that to us when we weren't feeling well. Needless to say, I faked being sick an awful lot. And for a quarter, which was a lot of money back in my day, right? I had to deal with my sisters that I would take their dose of homemade whiskey medication, right? I, I was a latchkey kid. So we would come home from school and the, this, 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 this bottle of this medicine uh, was expected to go down by a particular volume. And so I would take my sister's dose. Huge win-win for me, right? Not only did I make money, I got two extra doses of whiskey. Now, there's a story in our book, right? Jim, Jim the salesman um, in uh, More About Alcoholism, where he says something to the effect that suddenly, suddenly, right? Suddenly the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt on a full uh, full stomach. And when we read this in, in, in meetings, right? Newcomers are like, oh, that's disgusting. Oh my God, that's gross. So gross. Who would put whiskey or put milk in their whiskey. And I'm like, oh my God, me, 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 please, 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 please pick me, right? And the chairman never does. And the reason I bring that up is because we talk about the progression of alcoholism, right? First, my, uh, my whiskey came in a baby bottle and then it went to a glass with ice and soda until it was just, you know, a glass with ice and, and, and whiskey until it was neat and then, right? It's a bottle sitting underneath my car seat in the middle of the summer and I drink it anyway. So that's the progression of my alcoholism. And, and I hear people talk about their progression and how consequences eventually started to catch up with them. My experience is different, right? I had consequences from the very, very beginning. My first drink on my own, um, I was 14 and I got blackout drunk. I have no memory, no memory whatsoever of that event and I got pregnant. I'm 14 years old and I'm pregnant. And that baby was placed for adoption at birth and without tools, right? Without tools, I turned to the only thing that provided any source of comfort um, um, 
and um, um, ease. And that's alcohol, right? Alcohol is reliable. I know exactly how much to drink to get me to where I need to be. But alcohol began to turn on me in a really, really big way. And I started to put myself into really dangerous situations just to be able to drink the way that I wanted to. And um, I was raped at gunpoint. I, uh, you know, I rolled cars. I drove too fast. I experimented with non-conference approved dry goods. I was arrested for various things before I was 16. Um, and I began a nearly year-long sexual affair with a man who was more than three times my age. But every time we met, right, he brought enough alcohol to get me through to the next time, right? Because I'm an underage drinker and he has solved my alcohol problem. Now, guys, as my drinking progressed, I began to cross lines I never, ever, ever thought I would. And the book talks about having moral and philosophical convictions galore. Guys, I had these convictions. I was raised well, right? My sisters, to my knowledge, have never been in the backseat of a police car. My sisters have never worn, you know, state-sponsored jewelry, right? But I have. My sisters are not alcoholics. And I was just unable to consistently abide by the rules. And my standards of behavior began to drop. And I started to justify my behavior. Now, my sponsor tells me that if I need to justify, defend, or rationalize my behavior, it's wrong. It's wrong. It's always wrong. And man, I wished I'd known about that much, much earlier. All right, guys. So I was a heavy haul helicopter pilot. Oh, sounds so sexy, right? <laughs> it was. But I flew drunk. And I knew. I knew it was absolutely the wrong thing to do. And I was willing to risk the lives of babies sleeping in their cribs at home so that none of you guys would know that I had a drinking problem. And I did the most insane thing of my life to that point. I engaged the rotors and I took off and it was an absolutely beautiful day and nothing happened. And I landed without incident. And as I sat there during that two minute cool down period, I was absolutely, Amazed, baffled is the word we use in the book, right? Baffled by what I had just done. And I crawled out of my aircraft and I fell to the tarmac. And, and our book talks about, you know, that jumping off place where we had realized that we couldn't live without, we couldn't live with alcohol, we couldn't live without it. And we would know loneliness, loneliness like never before, and we would wish for the end. And I was there, guys. I had had enough. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Now, in the state of Connecticut, we have license plates that start with two letters, a dash, and then something else. And I'm on the tarmac, and I'm crying. I'm feeling sorry for myself. Whoa, it's me, right? <laughs> and um, when I finally pull myself together and, 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 and I look over, there's a car parked in front of me, and it has the license plate, AA-something else. That was the very first time, guys, the very, very first time I recognized a sign from God. And I crawled crawled into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. My higher power, whom I call God, has a wicked sense of humor and uses what I call God shots to make a point. You see, alcoholism was the baseball bat or the cricket bat that God used to get my attention. You see, I walked into the rooms of AA hoping that you guys would teach me how to drink like a lady. But instead, I found God first as the gift of desperation, right? I'm out in that metaphorical ocean and it's dark and it's storming and the waves are crashing over me and I am drowning. I am dying right there on, you know, on the surface of the water. And you guys show up in a raft and you throw me a line and I grab on and you pull me to safety. 
Now, if it was a beautiful day in uh, Bermuda and, you know, I could see we've got beautiful crystal clear water. And if I could see the bottom, if I could touch the bottom and you guys showed up in a life raft and you threw me that line, you know, I might say, mm, you know, that life preserver is a little dingy. It's a little moldy. It's got some barnacles on it. Why don't you come back when you have a really pretty magenta, a really pretty magenta one, right? See, because at that point, I still think that I have a choice. I still think that I can solve this on my own. I can't, right? The gift of desperation. Then my next higher power became um, um, a group of drunks, right? G-O-D, a group of drunks. I'm sitting in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm hearing you guys say ridiculous things like, oh, I am a grateful alcoholic, right? And, and there's laughter and this camaraderie and this conviviality. And, and you guys say things like, we are not a glum lot, and we absolutely insist on enjoying life, right? I'm, I'm hearing how families are being uh, reunited, how, how marriages are being saved, how tax bills are being paid, how how you know, people are able to, 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 to buy a mortgage after having a bankruptcy. And, and I'm amazed, right? Absolutely amazed. My next higher power then becomes um, good orderly direction, the God of good orderly direction. And I start listening to you guys and you guys say, lovey, get a sponsor. Someone who has experience in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and do the work. Lovey, do the next right thing. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, right? Um, lovey, start to live your life in spiritual principles, right? Start to do the things that you want to live by. And I start to do that, right? And when I did that, right, I had a spiritual awakening and I was able to develop an intimate and vertical relationship with the God of my understanding. Now, guys, as an alcoholic, this is just me. One of my most glaring character defects is self-importance, right? Smug superiority. I have to constantly remind myself. Actually, that's why I have a sponsor. And I have sponsees that are really, really good at doing this too. That they remind me the universe as we understand it is 13 billion years old. Guys, I'm pushing 60. What do I know in comparison to 13 billion years of existence? Nothing absolutely nothing, right? I'm one of 7 billion people on this planet. And if something were to happen to me, maybe, maybe 100 people would be affected by my death, right? Perspective, right? See, my higher power, <laughs> my sponsor, my sponsees, you guys remind me to stay right-sized. You remind me to stay alert. You remind me to stay vigilant. You see, and I do that by engaging in this program of recovery that's outlined, oh, that's outlined in this book. Um, you see, guys, I'm out of management, right? The third step takes me out of management. You know, I have a friend on here that says, you know, I'm a really, really bad manager. So if I'm a bad manager, I need a better manager, right? And that's God. And I get that through the I get that through the third step. I also know on page 62 that all of my troubles, all of my troubles are of my own making, even if they aren't inherently orchestrated by my hand, right? It's all about my perception, my reaction, and, and, and my attitude in life. You see, I have tools today. I have to be entirely willing, entirely willing to let God remove these character defects as they benefit him, right? Some are really, really spicy guys, and I'm not quite willing to let them go. And that's when I get into trouble, right? When I'm not willing, those character defects keep bubbling up. But see, step seven provides the grace of humbly asking God to remove those character defects. Sometimes they're gone for life. Never been my experience. They're not gone for life. Sometimes they're gone for a day, maybe, but still not really my experience. Sometimes an hour, we're getting closer. 
oftentimes it's just 30 seconds, right? That 30 seconds allows me to live in the pause, right? The pause of the 11th step that I don't open my mouth, that I don't, you know, respond or that I don't react. I get to respond. See, it's what I do when I'm in the grocery store, right? Um, um, uh, I'm just trying to think of a UK grocery store and it just slipped my mind. Uh, Sainsbury's, Sainsbury's uh, UK grocery store, right? So you're standing in line at Sainsbury's right behind a little old lady paying in coupons and pennies. And, and there was some place that I needed to be, you know, a half hour ago. So what do I do, right? What do I do? I recognize that I'm being impatient. And I ask God to remove that impatience. And I resolutely, um, uh, resolutely um, uh, turn my attention to someone I can help. Usually that little old lady, right? Excuse me, ma'am. Can I help bag your groceries? Can I take them out to the car for you? See, how can I be helpful to you? I have no business being impatient. I know intellectually it's little old lady Tuesday, right? I know it's the only day she can get to the store. I know she's on a fixed income. I know she's on, um, um, I know she's trying to maximize her budget. The problem is me, me. I didn't get to the store in a timely manner, right? I didn't organize my day properly. It's always my fault and I need to take ownership of that. Now, before I found my way into AA, I sat in justifiable anger. Oh my goodness, guys, I loved it, right? I stewed in it, I nurtured it, I cherished it. In my younger years, when I was thinner um, and in better shape, I would go to the, uh, the gym and I would kickbox, right? Man, that was so much fun. And, and, and there was nothing better at that time than diffusing my aggression by beating the crap out of that bag, right? But as a result of these steps, guys, I have no inclination whatsoever to hit anything, right? It all seems like just so much work. You know, that internal churning, the anger, the need to physically dominate my world is gone. I think... Um, my husband says, you know, that there is an internal, uh, um, you know, an, an internal peace about me today, a serenity um, that, that permeates, you know, every cell of my body. You see, every morning I get to surrender my opinion, my judgment, and what I think I know about God. You see, as a result of the 11th step, right, I wake up every day with a clean slate and I do my very best to accept the world, right? and its people for who they are, where they happen to be on their journey. As I said, with the third step, right? My only job is to love God's kids where they happen to be on their journey, right here, right now, with love, compassion, and patience. Now, our 12th step, I'm a big 12th step girl, says, having had, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. For me, and only for me, step 12 is a three-part step. The first part is a promise, right? If I do the first 11 steps from this book, I am promised, I am guaranteed a spiritual awakening. The first 11 steps for me are the directions for finding a God of my understanding. There are conditions, right? The book is filled with conditions. I have to be thoroughly honest. Mm, you know, the book talks about dishonesty being a problem, right? I can lie for the sake of lying for no reason whatsoever. It also tells me that uh, no half measures. Oh, see, but I can half-ass anything. And uh, it also tells me that I have to be fearless. The book again reminds me that, you know, I'm driven by a hundred forms of fear. But if I'm willing, right, if I'm willing, if I lay aside my prejudice, if, if, if I seek, right, I am guaranteed 
as spiritual awakening. And for someone like me, that's really, really cool, right? So in our Judo-Christian society, right, where does God live? Up there. And as a pilot, where am I hanging out? Up there, right? And I'm looking down at all you little minions and I'm going, ah, 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 right, lording in it. And then my sponsor tells me, you know what, lovey, honey, not only are you not God, you're not a demigod, and you're not a goddess either. So put away the put away the ego and let's get to work, right? I am so grateful for good sponsorship. I'm so grateful for complete ego deflation. All right, guys, I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you understand aviation mechanics? All right. How many of you understand aerodynamics, coefficient of lift? All right. How many of you can actually physically fly an aircraft? But does that stop you from getting on a plane in Heathrow and going to Mallorca? No, right? You get on the plane and, and, and you trust that it delivers you safety safely to your destination, right? See, I don't have to understand how a plane works in order to utilize it, right? I just need to follow some rules. Stand orderly in queue, get on, sit down, put my seatbelt on, and enjoy the ride, right? See guys, I don't have to understand God to trust God, right? And I get to find that through this book. Now, the second part of step 12 is to carry this message to alcoholics. This message, right? What is this message? Well, for me and only for me, this message is found on the forward to the first edition of our big book. We at Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. The main purpose of this book, right? Precisely. There is no wiggle room in precisely. Now, I happen to know that in the UK, you get Betty Crocker cake mixes, right? Go to Sainsbury, you go down the baking aisle, there'll be a baby crocker cake mix. And if we were all to get exactly the same cake mix with the same lot, and we were to make that cake, we really all should end up with exactly the same cake, right? I doubt that's going to happen. You know why? Because I'm going to look at the back of the ingredients and it's going to say it needs three eggs, it needs a cup of oil, and, and you know, a cup, of, a cup, cup and a half of water. And I'm going to think, huh, that's a lot of oil and I'm trying to lose weight. And uh, so I'm going to use, you know, uh, applesauce instead. And somebody else is going to say, well, you know what? I'm a vegan, so I'm, I'm not going to use eggs. I'm going to use like an egg replacement, right? Someone else is going to say, well, you know what? That's just like white cake and that's pretty boring. So I'm going to, you know, um, um, uh, add in some um, chocolate chips and, you know, mix it up. See, if I don't follow the directions as exactly on the back of that cake mix, I'm not going to get the cake that's advertised on the front right? So if I want what the first 100 did, who got and stayed sober, I need to do what they did. And that's what they did on page 59. And on page 59, it outlines everything in the past tense. Why? Because that's what they did. But if we look at the steps in the present, right, it says things, do you now believe or are you willing to believe in a power greater than yourself, right? Things are written in the present for me to take the steps. But if I want what they had, I have to do what they did. All right. So I have a responsibility, right, as a result of this, to take others through, uh, through the steps, right, to watch this fellowship grow up among me, right? This fellowship isn't, you know, all of us 
all of us randomly sitting in a room. It's about the people I take through the work, right? It's about the it's about my sponsees and my sponsor and 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 and, and all the people in my network, right? For me, the message is hope and recovery, and that I get to live happy, joyous, and free, and I get recovery through engaging in this program, right, of Alcoholics Anonymous. Not just to not drink one day at a time, but to fill my life with a power that's greater than me. Now, our big book uses the word approach 28 times, 28 times. I like to count things. So 28 times. I have a responsibility as a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous to go out and find the newcomer, right? I don't understand where we got the idea that the newcomer has to come to me. It's my job to go find the newcomer. And I go to wind up joints, the places I wind up if I drink again, right? jails, rehabs, detoxes. Um, I go to beginner meetings and, and I go to great fishing spots. And in my home group, I have a responsibility to look for that face I don't recognize, right? And, and, and I'll go up to them and say, hi, my name is Lovey. Are you new? Yes. Welcome. Here's the coffee. Here are the bathrooms. Um, 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 uh, donuts. Um, you know, here's a meeting schedule. Um, here's a book. Please come and sit beside me. Let me introduce you to some people. Would you like to go for coffee after the meeting and talk? Another new face, especially in Bermuda. Hi, are you new? No, no, I'm visiting. Welcome. My name is Lovey. Here's the coffee. Here are the donuts. Um, here are the bathrooms. Here's a meeting schedule. Here are, the, here are the meetings closest to your hotel. Do you need a ride? How can I be helpful to you while you're enjoying our beautiful island? Another new face. Hi, are you new? No, no, no. I got 30 years of resentment, a coffee pot, and I'm here to create chaos. Welcome. My name is Lovey. Here's the coffee. Here are the donuts. Here are the bathrooms. Here's a brand new minted meeting schedule. Here's a fourth edition book, just in case you're still working from the third. Please come and sit beside me. Let me introduce you to some people. See, guys, I get to do that today, right? I get to suit up and show up and be helpful, right? I get to live with compassion and patience for where people happen to be on their journey right here, right now. And that kind of ties into the third part of step 12, right? Which is to practice these principles in all of our affairs, all of them, not just some of them, right? It's not how, um, um, it's not how, um, it's, you know, I can behave really, really well for an hour in Alcoholics Anonymous, right? It's how do I behave when I'm on like the M10 and it's, and it's rush hour, right? How do I behave when I'm in Heathrow and it is the busiest travel day of the year, right? How do I behave? You see, and these principles are all spiritual in nature. And this is the challenge in my life, right? And I try to live with the principles of compassion, patience, forgiveness, fidelity, love, uh, goodwill, uh, humility, honesty, consideration, restitution, and acceptance, right? Our book uses the term, uh, uses the phrase, love and tolerance of others is our code. And this alcoholic cannot use the word tolerance, right? For me, tolerance comes from a place of spiritual hubris. I am just putting up with you and your nonsense right now. See, guys, I don't get to put up with you. I don't get to tolerate you. I come from a place of compassion. What I get to do nowadays is love you where you happen to be on your journey right here, right now with love, compassion, and patience, period, right? Because how you behave is not my problem. It is not a reflection of me, right? How I behave is, is, is a testament of my character, 
not yours. You see, and when I do that, I get to be a producer of harmony today rather than confusion, right? You know, um, I get to live in love rather than conflict and hate. Because guys, you know what? As I get older, this, this, this life we live is very, very short and it's way too precious to waste. Now I mentioned restitution, right? Oh, and restitution follows the, um, uh, our, our, our ninth step amends. And when I was new and I looked at the ninth step, you know, I said, yeah, I'm not doing that one. And um, I had to make an amends to a government agency that, that oversees um, aviation. And I put it off for a really, really long time. And, but see, I have a sponsor who go, hey, hey, did you do it? Did you do it? Did you do it? And no, no, I didn't do it. See, guys, I told you before that one of my character defects is smug superiority. And I thought I was smarter than my sponsor. And uh, so I decided to call my attorney and I said, hey there, Mr. Attorney, this is what my sponsor wants me to do. And my attorney said, oh, hell no, are you out of your mind? We worked so hard to keep you out of jail. You want to go do what? Guys, I'm vindicated. I go back to my sponsor and I'm all glib and I go, hey, there's sponsor. <laughs> this is what my attorney said. And my sponsor looks at me like only a sponsor can, right? Pats me on my head, so condescending and says, oh, is that right? How free do you want to be? Get on your knees and pray for the willingness to be willing. Ugh. Sponsors, they're so wise, you know? So I did what he told me to do and I prayed about it. And there's, there's a line in our book that tells us if the desired um, action is to be taken or if the indicated action is to be taken, we must not shirk. So I made an appointment with this particular um, um, agency and I took my attorney, my union rep, um, aviation physician and another sober pilot. And, and, and I stood before this panel and I told them that I was a sober woman in Alcoholics Anonymous and that my sobriety was predicated on making right the wrongs of my past and that I wasn't there to beg for my job back or to have my license reinstated. I was simply there to do the next right thing and I would accept any judgment they had for me, no matter what, right? And there are people on this meeting that remember when I went to make that amends and one of them said to me, well, hopefully you come back, right? And here's the thing, I could have been arrested and, and, and um, 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 remanded to custody on the spot. And I was prepared to go to jail, guys. I was prepared, right? Because the book tells me that if I do the next right thing, right? That, that um, I will be safe and protected, right? In this position of neutrality, no matter what. And um, here's God working in my life. Right, A man on that panel said, I too am a sober man and Alcoholics Anonymous. He said, this is what we want you to do. Never drink again one day at a time. And we want you to help um, share what alcoholism is and what it isn't in the aviation community, right? Help other pilots, other aviation professionals get and stay sober so that they won't lose their careers. See guys, I will never fly again. And I'm okay with that. I am grounded. My wings have been clipped, but I get to suit up and show up and be a representation of this book, right? Because I've been told that sometimes I'm the only evidence of this book many people will ever, ever see. And that's a lot of responsibility. So I have to behave accordingly, right? So I get to do that. Now I'm gonna leave you with this. In my experience, right, there's a grand plan. I'm just not privy to it. Oh, and it bugs me no end. Cause I, as you guys have figured out, you know, I'm a triple, I'm a double A personality, A personality, and um, I'm a control freak, but everything happens for a reason and more will always be revealed. I told you about that baby I had when I was 14, right? 
Oh, that baby is no longer a baby. That baby is a grown man. And um, he is um, a combat surgeon and he holds the rank of Lieutenant Colonel or Lieutenant Colonel. And he works pretty much exclusively with um, civilian refugee populations. You know, he was in um, Syria when, when the big, when the big earthquake hit and um, he has helped countless people save thousands of lives and restored humanity one person at a time. You see, it took me 35 years to understand the divine purpose of his birth, right? I sat there for 35 years going, oh, pour me, pour me, pour me another drink, right? Until this program through inventory taught me that I was a vessel, right? I provided genetics and a womb, right? I gave him life. His adoptive parents nurtured and, and cared for him, um, um, gave him opportunity. The military trained him. And God put him where he would be of maximum service, right? There is a line in our book, my favorite line, which is the topic of this meeting, right? Page 77, it says our real purpose, right? As individuals is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us, right? To fit myself. There is nothing convenient or comfortable about fitting myself, right? It's like trying to crawl into like some really small little corner, right? I've got to contort. But see, guys, when I do that, right, I get to be a maximum service to God and maximum service to all of you. I am so honored and so privileged to be a part of God's grand plan. I can't even begin to share my enthusiasm and my passion for that with you guys. So if you're new or nearly new, please get a sponsor. I beg of you, someone who has experience in this book and do the work, I beg you, and if you're a veteran of this program, please, 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 please reach out your hand to a newcomer and show them that this program works because this has been the most amazing journey of my life. And if you will allow me just one more minute, I'm going to close with page 164 of our book. It says, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if, if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and for countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Guys, thank you so much for allowing me to be of service and for participating in my sobriety today as well. Thanks so much. That's all I got.